I'm Esther Almar. Welcome. You're listening to The Consent Convo on The Spin. We continue to talk with our brothers on consent. The Consent Convo is a public conversation campaign on consent. It is an emotional justice project. And throughout November, it is in partnership with Essence. I'm talking with black men about how they learned about consent, from whom, and how that learning shaped their relationships to their body, to sex, to power, to men, to women. This program is brought to you by the African-American Public Radio Consortium. I'm joined by Wade Davis II. Wade Davis is a former NFL player. He is a thought leader, a writer, public speaker, and educator on gender, race, and orientation equality. Wade played for the Tennessee Titans, the Washington Redskins, and the Seattle Seahawks, as well as for two different teams within the NFL Europe League. Wade is dedicated to using his platforms and social currency to highlight issues that directly impact women and girls. In partnership with the Miss Foundation and Ebony Magazine, Wade Davis launched the hashtag Black Men and Feminism campaign, focusing on conversations with black men around their perceptions and understanding of feminism. Wade Davis gave his first TEDx talk at the University of Florida entitled The Mask of Masculinity. In 2014, Wade became the NFL's first diversity and inclusion consultant, where he leads inclusion training sessions and national engagement initiatives, including the High Five Project, working to further create safe space in sports for LGBT athletes. Welcome, welcome, Wade. Welcome. Consent. We're asking men to speak out and stand up. Speaking out and standing up. Now, that is something that you do, Wade, with your work and you've been doing in so many different forums. You are one of an elite group. You're an athlete, a former NFL player. So you have walked in spaces where hypermasculinity rules. You are literally part of that locker room culture. And our masculinity models glamorize athletes as the pinnacle of manhood, the dude, the alpha. Toxic masculinity, hypermasculinity especially, makes consent a dirty word. Men, athletes, the world of football is all about take, pursuit, dominate, destroy. It's aggression, not permission. But when you talk about the mask of masculinity and taking that off in order to breathe, literally, emotionally, sexually, powerfully, Yet we raise young boys to wear a mask of toughness in order to be a man. And we rob them of their childhood and their innocence. And sport is one of the many vehicles that parents choose to help their kids put on these masks. And as little boys, we learn that being labeled tough grants you a certain type of social capital. And being thought of as weak or queer is suicidal both athletically and socially. Now, for all of the rules that I was taught about the game of Smear the Queer and the rules for how to be a man, I was never taught how to be myself and how to love myself. And I didn't start my journey towards self-love and self-acceptance until I broke these rules and took off what I call the mask 
of masculinity. The Consent Convo is pushing for creating a consent-positive environment. And creating that means finding pleasure, seeing power in permission. So what does consent mean to you? How did you learn about it coming up? What did your 19-year-old self know and learn? Who taught you? What did they teach you? How did their teaching shape your relationship to yourself, to sex, to your body, to power, to men and women? What were the notions of masculinity that surrounded you and how did they impact your understanding of consent? What have you had to unlearn to create healthier, loving relationships? And looking back, what would you tell your 15 or 14-year-old self? Wade Davis, let's talk consent. So let's start with your personal journey and what has shaped your understanding of consent. If I'm being honest, you know, I don't ever remember a time where anyone in my life actually talked to me specifically about ideas of consent. I'm a little ashamed to say that, but it's honest. You know, I don't remember a kid having anyone do it as a teenager, I mean, even as an adult. Up until I started to engage in feminism was the first time I even started to think really honestly and specifically about ideas of consent. I think part of that is because I was struggling with my own identity, my own sexuality. And so the idea of even having sex with someone was a little foreign to me. I was afraid of the idea of sex and being intimate and naked way with, with someone. So I think that over time, I started to just think that if I am going to have sex with anyone, I, as the individual, have to be very comfortable with myself before I would even allow someone to be with me in intimate ways. But were you having sex before you were comfortable with who you were? And if you were, what informed your yes? One of the things we kind of think about when it comes to consent is it's the very kind of no means no culture. And people learn that in, in different ways through different messaging. But one of the things that we're exploring on the Consent Convo is when you did say yes, the point at which you said yes, what informed that yes? I would say the biggest thing that informed my yes was that I felt safe, that safety was an important part of it. And I think when I think about myself as a man, I don't think that we as men talk a lot about ideas of safety and sex, but I think for your first couple of experiences when it comes to having sex, whether it's with someone of the same sex or opposite sex, you want to feel safe that you're not going to be shamed during sex or after sex. So there was a part of me that when I decided to first have an intimate relationship with a woman, I needed to get to know her in such a way where I did feel that my quote unquote performance would not be shamed because I was never taught about intimacy. I was never taught about sex. I was never taught about anything that has to do with sex. I learned a lot of it via television, via porn. So I think that those are some of the worst ways to learn about sex. Like for me specifically during my first intimate contact, it was, did I feel safe enough to be naked in front of that other person? Did I feel comfortable enough with with my own body? One of the things that's been really powerful in researching this whole question of consent is we kind of went to the root of the word to break down what it meant and its roots. And it breaks down into two words, con and scent, meaning literally feel together. And I was thinking about you playing football and how the masculinity of that is a particular type of feeling together that is rooted in hypermasculinity. But in your TED talk, where you talk about taking off a mask, I wonder about the giving yourself consent to feel more fully 
in order to engage differently. And I wonder if you could talk about the process and what you went through to kind of get to that stage. I hated the fact that I was gay more than anything else. I mean, I could not reconcile the fact that I was an athlete, that I was a man, because I was taught so long and so early and with so much intentionality that being gay was the worst thing that you can be. And it was also something that black people didn't engage in, like we didn't engage in homosexuality. So it took me so many years to, one, find people who allowed me to show up in the world as myself, right, to be able to say, hey, like, I'm a black man, I'm a former athlete, and I'm attracted to other men. Like, to find spaces where people allowed me to do that was so important. Secondly, I actually had to recreate family structures. I never believed that my family, that my mother specifically, would ever embrace me, would love me, would provide me with the same forms of intimacy that she did when I was a child as an adult if I told her that I was gay. So I just really started to create new family structures because I was so afraid that when I did tell my parents that immediately I would be shunned. And then I started dating someone who gave me strength, who gave me courage to say that, hey, like, am I going to continually allow my mother to live my life or am I going to start to recreate my own story for myself and start to live for myself. And then it was starting to have a practice of self-love, whether it was through meditation or through reading about what it meant to be a black man. Like there were so many things that I had to do first in order for me to take off this mask in order to allow people to see my real self before I could even say the words out loud that I was gay. That just took so many other steps. And I wish that someone had taught me so much younger how to love myself. I say this often that we're taught to love ourselves, but people never actually give you real tangible examples of what that looks like in your everyday life. Talk about loving football and being gay and the journey to reconcile the two. I fell in love with the sport of football around the age of seven, and it was something that was just intuitive to me. I could send it from the television. And I just knew what was going to happen. It was in my DNA. Like, I, I think that I was born to play the sport of football. But at the same time, when I realized I was gay, I believed that being gay meant that you were less than, that you were less than men, that you were less than women, that you were just the lowest common person in the entire world. And I didn't know how those two worlds would ever come together and coexist. So I just hid. I did all of these stereotypical things that I thought that real men did from objectifying women to going to strip clubs to trying to be seen with a number of women on my arms to doing everything that I believed that I had to do to be seen as heterosexual, to be seen as masculine. I mean, all of those things where you watch other men do that are very toxic forms of showing up in the world, that was my practice. That was what I performed every day. That was what I spent time studying. I wanted to make sure that in my toolbox that there was nothing that could be seen as feminine, that there was nothing that could be seen as less than. So whether it was my style of dress, whether it was my speech, anything that I did, I wanted to make sure that that was stereotypically heterosexual and masculine. Talk about peeling away that mask of masculinity and literally consenting to become yourself while still being an athlete and still loving football. Was there a particular moment? Was it a process? Just break down for me what that was. The first thing that I did was I moved away from anyone who knew me 
as an athlete. I moved from Colorado to New York City. There was no one who knew me in New York. I wasn't that big of a name of a player, so I knew that I could kind of reinvent myself. So I moved to New York City and I started to investigate. I went to my first gay club. The problem with that was it didn't feel authentic to me. Like I went to the Roxy was my first ever gay club and there was cocaine being done in this corner and then there were naked guys in this corner and it just felt like it was all too much at one time. So I rejected that space. And then I was fortunate enough to meet a guy who was playing in this gay flag football league who ran a website where he created spaces for athletes who identified as LGBT to kind of share their stories. And then I met other gay men who were interested in sports. And then I was able to find some commonality. I was able to see myself and my future in them. And then I was able to ask all of the strange questions, like what's it like to have sex with another guy? I needed to find safe spaces to explore, to question, to do all of these things that were inside of me that I was never able to do on the outside. And I started to love myself a little bit more every, every day. But the most salient thing that ever happened to me is I took a job at this LGBT youth-serving organization called the Hedrick Martin Institute, and it was where I met young trans people, young kids who were 13, 14, 15, who were living in their truth, who were doing it unapologetically, who were so courageous. I mean, these young sheroes and heroes were just walking around saying, hey, this is who I am, and if you love me, great, and if you don't, I'm going to be okay anyway. It was literally watching them step into their power, which started to give me the courage to start to love myself more. But the most important thing that I did was I developed a practice where I would look myself in the mirror every day and say, I loved you. It was something that to me felt so radical, felt so different. But it was really the first time I looked at myself and started to reinforce this idea that I was worthy, that, that I had value, that was separate from anyone else's thoughts. That, that it was just a practice that I did for myself. And closing questions, one of the um, powerful things Donnell Moore said during this series was that to think about consent as much more than just consenting to sex, but consenting to intimacy, to allowing someone in your space, to consenting to fully feel as a human being and be in your body, in your heart, in your space. So then with the journey that you've walked on now, when you look back at your 14, 15 year old self, what would you tell him? about consent? I would tell him that he's got to consent to love himself. I think that oftentimes we think of consent as something that we do for others, but I firmly believe that the first part of consent is that you have to do it for yourself. You have to give yourself the consent to love yourself, which will create the conditions for you to allow others to love you for you to love others. And if I could do it all over again, there's not much that I would change. But the one thing that I would do first is I would give myself consent to love myself without the fear of what someone else will think about it. And I often sit and think about the journey that I've been on. And the entire journey has always been towards getting to the space where I loved myself without worrying about the cost to others. I think that we can think about Self-love is something that is egotistical, but self-love, I think, is the highest form of consent. I'm Wade Davis, and you're listening to The Consent Convo. Consent is swag, consent is smart, and smart is sexy. Thank you so much, Wade. Thank you. Thank you, love. Have a great day.
Thank you, Wade Davis. The Consent Convo is an emotional justice project. It's a public conversation campaign on consent. And in November, it is in partnership with Essence. We are having it with men and women. It's a call to create a consent positive environment to speak out, to stand up. Subscribe to The Spin on iTunes and check out Essence every Thursday for The Consent Convo, a public conversation campaign on consent. I'm your host, Esther Armour. We about to jump, yeah. I got moxie. I'm so damn foxy. Industry try to block me like hops and paparazzi. Those that don't copy just copy me properly. This program has been brought to you by the African American Public Radio Consortium, NPR Distribution, and the Public Radio Satellite System.